Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. My name is Pat King, a staff writer here at Years to Feed. On today's episode, we are thrilled to welcome Brooklyn's The Men to discuss the 10-year anniversary of their groundbreaking album, Leave Home. To mark this momentous occasion, Sacred Bones will be reissuing the album on September 24th. Mixing influences from punk, hardcore, shoegaze, no wave, black metal, and crowd rock, there was nothing that sounded quite like it at the time, and its influence can be felt throughout underground music today. Last month, I got the chance to speak with Mark Perro, Nick Cherokozy, and one-time member Chris Hansel to discuss the early days of the men, recording and touring around Leave Home, their Anything Goes mentality, and the record's lasting influence and legacy. It's a great discussion about one of the great rock albums of the last decade. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey. <laughs> how you doing, man? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to What's figure that? out how to use this thing here. Just You can hear me, I guess, so that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. The other guy should be on in a second. We were just texting. Oh, making sweet. fun of our making fun of ourselves. Hey, Chris. There he is. Oh. Hey, Chris. Hey, sorry about that. I think I, I when you were like joining, I think I xed you out. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was I, my camera wasn't like uh, showing up, so I had to like restart the app or whatever. How you doing? Doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm so excited. You know, all of you, all of you guys are are joining. This is, you know, more than more than I was expecting, and more than I could have hoped for. So this is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's a record that we all care about, so it'd be fun to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and here is Nick. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, Nick. How's it going? Yeah, you guys knew it was going to take me a minute to get this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up, man? Hey. How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm good, Nick. good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. Um, so yeah. I, I I guess to start out, um, thanks thanks for joining the podcast today, guys. Um, right now I have um I have Mike Mark Perro. Uh, Nicholas uh, Cherokozy and Chris Hansel of of the men, um, or you know of the men at the time that the the record Leave Home came out, and that's what we're here to talk about today. It's it's uh this year marks the tenth anniversary of the record, so it's a a good time to kind of get everyone together and kind of get their thoughts on it. <laughs> hey guys, how you doing? Doing good, how man. Doing? Yeah, good. Yeah. So um yeah. Like I was saying, it's it's been ten years since this record came out, and it for me, um, it, it's such a a record I I hold so much nostalgia for. At the time, it was kind of like a weird period and to move to Brooklyn for me. Like I, I had just graduated college, and I in two thousand nine, it was kind of like getting my you know feet on the ground. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we we just kind of moved to the city. Um, we were told that you know like there would just be no jobs, <laughs> you know any anything. It was a pretty bleak, desolate time. But I, I feel like I was just kind of going to shows, and I, I saw your band a lot, you know, around this time. And and this record is is really important to me. And I, I guess to start it out, do you have any memories about recording the record? You know, looking back on it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I say, who wants to go for? I'm sure we all have, we all have our share. You want to go, Chris? You you sound like you got some. Well, I mean, we recorded the record in like an abandoned school that was repurposed into like artist studios, and uh, Ben Greenberg had like a studio in the basement of uh, of that school. So that experience was just cool to begin with because we were basically just in like classrooms and storage like areas, like setting up. We set up drum the drums in like. Um, how many, like, how tall do you guys think that ceiling was? Like, 
20 foot tall ceiling concrete room. So that's why they sound so huge on the record. There's no reverb on the drums that like added digitally after the fact that was just like how big that room was. And that's the only, like we only recorded the drums in there. I don't think we recorded any guitar, or maybe some bass tracks were recorded in there too. But that for me was just fun because at the time when we were just recording this record as a three piece, you know, I played drums on some tracks. Mark played drums on some tracks. Did, Nick, did you play drums on, on that record? I don't record? think I did. No, I think just you guys, yeah. So playing drums in that massive room and then hearing it back and it sounding like a plane crashing was like the, my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> there, there were two other drummers, though, on that record. That's true, yeah. Chris, we had, yeah, Chris Bowman, who played with a, a band at the time called Nomos, played drums on, on two of the songs. And then I, the other drummer, I guess, would just be the drum machine. Was We used on Roland, which we used on uh, Night Landing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 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 Chris only played on one, on one track that made the record, though, right? Bowman? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. He played so. on... Um, no, he played on the uh, Black to Come. The parentheses. Yeah. yeah, the parentheses. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. And there was another one that didn't make the cut. Yeah, he did. Which one was that? What was that one? That was the Black. The black? It was like a kind of a metal track. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was the best. That was the best one. And there's there's a mix of that with no drums. That's even better. And that should have made the record. Yeah, but... still fighting for that one. Ten years later, I'll never <laughs> let go of that. One. Was 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 there a lot of stuff on the on the cutting room floor? I believe there was two tracks, and one of them ended up on like. Um a limited like sacred bones friends and family like christmas seven inch that caleb would give out to people like around the holidays right am i wrong that's right right there was like an instrument yeah, so. track and then there was like a like an epic i don't know it was an almost like 10 minute long <laughs> black metal track with like a three minute long guitar intro but <laughs> for some reason we didn't catch it in the recording process but we were trying to mix the record we realized that the drums were just completely off time with the guitars and it just kind of was a huge mess to me but mark <laughs> mark really liked it and still fought still fights to like get it out there because like, we did that collection double lp like two years ago or a year ago whenever that was and he wanted to put that track on there too with just no drums and just like the guitars in the but but in chris's defense who can't be here to speak for himself he was in the other room like yeah. this chris was mentioning and it was it's not that easy to to record you know especially a, a very long blast beat for however long no i wasn't trying to discredit chris at all i just mean like yeah it was everybody it was like a it just didn't work out <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we. <laughs> Mark's looking at me like it could have worked out. <laughs> well, well, I think that's like that's something that I, I, you know, being a fan of the band for so long, I feel like that's something that's so commendable, and I, I feel like was such a breath of fresh air with this record. You know, it, it really felt like you know, you, you weren't afraid to try so many different things on this record and, and it really, you know, made it such an exciting listen. I, I guess, you know, has that always been your mindset, you know, going into making records? Like, do you just kind of, um, do you take the approach of like, no idea is a bad idea kind of thing? Definitely. I would think so. But I also don't think that it was consciously like us sitting there being like, let's try to do, you know, let's try to span like six different genres or something like that. And it, I think it was very natural in that way because the three of us were always into a vast amount of music. 
And I think that's why the early years of the band were very memorable to some people because like you could describe one of our records to someone like maybe Leave Homer, the one before Immaculata by being like, oh yeah, there's like a really like aggressive punk track. There's like some shoegaze-esque tracks. There's psych, there's kraut rock. And someone would probably look at you and be like, that sounds like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think because of because of the the fact that we were always willing to try each other's ideas out and and try to see them through to the end that they it it did come together in the end to form like some sort of cohesive mass of sound that made sense whether it was different genres or not if that makes sense yeah totally um i i guess um it's it's funny i was thinking about it and you know with a band like yours i i feel like you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, certain scenes around, around DIY spots, around, you know, neighborhoods or whatever. And, and a a lot of people kind of overlook that sometimes scenes can sprout around record stores, like specific record stores. And like, I, I guess, you know, when you were kind of starting the band early on, were you more kind of, um, gravitated towards music scenes or were you uh, record collectors first and and kind of like I guess did you feel a kinship with other bands that were doing things around Brooklyn at that time yeah you know I mean uh, I uh, I'm sorry if I cut somebody up but the uh, you know both kind of I, I mean the part of you know obviously we were playing at a place called 538 Johnson all the time for anybody that remembers and, and death by audio some of the some of the places that had a lot of shows, but but even record stores. I mean, when we the record before Leave Home, Immaculata that that Chris mentioned before, and part of how I think even got us any shows and ultimately got us involved with Sacred Bones. I mean, we we would just go to Academy Records and you know we pressed that record ourselves and we just you know ask them if they would sell it for us. And you know our friend uh, Ryan Nado at the time worked there, and I, I think he put it on the wall and wrote a little description and you know we gave him five copies and and they sold and you know it, it just kind of it was very organic in that sense you know and so i mean we I, I think we we'd all say we're record collectors and you know avid showgoers or you know i don't want to say seamsters or some so to say but there was a really <laughs> great scene going on at the time too there were so many good bands that were playing around the same time as us d- doing in some ways you know things that are were similar or at least in the same kind of world that we felt some kind of kinship with you know so i mean kind of both to your question yeah i think that i was going to say academy records for sure I, we pressed 300 copies of that first 12 inch and I think we sold most of the pressing through Academy because they just kept taking more. They would take five copies and they would take 10 copies. And I don't think we were doing much mail order at the time because nobody knew who we were. So I would say that Academy is definitely responsible for helping us sell like three, like whatever, 300 copies of that record that we put out. The first yeah, but you're, you're Chris, you're forgetting about your, your favorite message board at the time because we, we did do quite a bit of mail order. So what was that called? BCOers? Viva La Vinyl definitely helped. Viva La Vinyl. Yeah, I think we put the 12 inch up there for like as like a media fire link or something. And um, people seemed to respond to it well there and bought some copies from us there. I forgot about the mail. <laughs> yeah, remember, I mean, all three of us, when we put out Immaculata, we made those jackets ourselves even. And so the three of us sat in my apartment on uh when we you know after we put it up on this message board or however else we got it out and we're hand gluing them hand cutting them packing them i mean it took hours and hours and hours and ne- never again would we ever probably make our own jackets but 
we've we've made our own record since but you know i mean it was a much much different time as as little as short as 10 years ago were it was technologically it was almost a, kind of a different i mean those message boards i don't even know if those message boards even exist anymore i think some of them do people of vinyl still there it's obviously like less active and stuff like that but yeah like it's strange like blog spots and all that that was that was only 10 years ago but you don't really see that much anymore like people sharing each other's music via links and yeah camaraderie on message boards and stuff like that um but yeah academy for sure death by audio we played all the time for sure we definitely felt attached to that 538 was big for us because we had friends there and they would give us shows at the time you know it's like i played in some small smaller bands and mark and nick had both played in smaller bands and but we didn't really have much of like connections in the way of like people like if, if nobody knew who we were we didn't have anyone that would take a chance on us just because of like who we were or whatever for the most part it was kind of just we had to kind of like prove ourselves and um that was kind of cool to start playing these shows of bands that didn't necessarily sound like us embracing us and wanting to play other shows like we played a show at 538 with i think in 2009 or 2008 with mammoth grinder who were like a death metal band from texas and um that's how I became friends with my friend Chris from that band who I'm still friends with to this day. But it's such a strange thing that we would have gotten booked on a show with like a death metal kind of band like that because it didn't make any sense. But at the same time, it kind of, I don't know, kind of did at the same time. I don't know. It's strange to think about. Right, right. Well, I, I think it's it's so funny, like the space, like the space that the men, I think, kind of encapsulate is like, um, I, I feel like in, in genres outside of like hardcore kind of strict guideline genres, you know, like hardcore you know, like black metal kind of, you know, like if, if you kind of like color outside the lines in those genres, like you get derided in a lot of ways. Like, I, I think it's tough, but like, I, I feel like the men kind of just having like a broad or wide net to kind of capture all of these things, like, like it, it just makes sense that you can play with so many people. You could play with noisier, no wave kind of things. You could play with more aggressive music. I, I just think, you know, um, a lot of, you know, like, like the Rolling Stones have like a disco song, but they're not really a disco band and, and that's fine. They're, they're a rock and roll band, but, um, I, I guess uh, when you were kind of playing shows, did were you able to see bands kind of come around to that aspect of, of you trying so many things? Or was that kind of like a difficult sell? Honestly, I think it was more embraced than we thought it would be. I think it, people would look at us kind of like cross-eyed for a second. But at the time, I think that the three of us, we were a three-piece and I think, you know, like we were pretty young and I was way younger than them. And we had a, a lot of a lot of fucking energy at the time so that even if we were playing a softer sounding song or a more boring like everybody like mark isn't like a classically trained drummer so he looks like animal from the muppets when he's playing it <laughs> <laughs> was like absolutely nuts and i'm like you know i just feel like there was there was there was an energy to it where you could see that it was some sort of like at the, at the very least like something entertaining to watch yeah it, it was funny i i mean i was like you know i was i was listening to the record i've been i've been kind of i, I think i've listened to it a few times this week and and actually this morning when i was listening drinking coffee um once the final song ended um mystery by the wipers came on uh -huh. and and i was i was just thinking like oh that that's so perfect because like for that band that's like a power pop song and like if if you had only heard like youth of america you know like it wouldn't make sense but like i, I feel like um is that yeah. the Spotify algorithm or something like that yeah like yeah because we definitely ripped off the wipers a thousand times <laughs> <laughs> well well i mean well i, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I think that's, <laughs> but, but I, I guess like the motoric kind of thing on this record, like the Krautrock influence. I mean, were, at that, at that time, were you listening to kind of like a lot of German stuff? Well, I mean, I, I still, to this day, I, I probably make say that Klaus Dinger is my favorite drummer. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, uh, from, from Noi and, uh, you know, I, I always loved the simplicity of, of that beat and, and sort of the, the, the kind of heartbeat momentum that it maintains. So, I mean, that, that was pretty conscious that, you know, that I was very much trying to emulate that style. And, and same with the, uh, the drum machine, you know, I mean, that, that was uh, simplistic and it just sort of that, that continuous motion, I, I think, uh, was, was definitely the intention. And, and whether it was Noi can you know what a craft work whatever bands it, it might be that, that was always on i think all of our uh, our turntables pretty often yeah i think noi especially <clears throat> was big for all of us noi 75 yeah perfect record front to back yeah it's incredible and and i don't know like i i feel like especially with with stuff like that like like the repetition of it just makes it seem more menacing in a way <laughs> like even though you know noi isn't isn't very like you know uh, I don't know, like a, abrasive or anything, but like getting lost in that repetition can kind of seem disorienting sometimes, which is, is pretty amazing. Um, when, when the record kind of blew up, was, was that a surprise to you guys? I mean, it didn't necessarily feel like it blew up, I don't think, until like way after the fact. I don't think we realized that it was, because we did a, we did like a, I don't want to misspeak because I can't remember, but I think it was like something like 48 shows in like 45 days or something does that sound right mark something like that yeah i mean but but to that point i mean that was the same thing i mean we, we i think the, the the blowing up of it happened a lot more outside of our world than uh you know we directly experience it you know i i do remember getting a text from our label at you know three in the morning or something when, when some you know some pitchfork review went up and we got some nice review and things. And, and that was actually before the tour, but you know, we went on the tour, we were, we were touring a lot at the time that tour and then following that. And it wasn't like people were, you know, banging on our car windows, like the Beatles or anything. We were still playing, you, you know, small shows, punk shows. And a lot of the shows were not well attended, you know, you know, so a lot of that blowing up, I think was, was maybe more the outside. I, I personally never felt, you know, it's in later and then doing things like this where I'm like, wow, maybe it did have, you know, an impact of some kind, but you know, at the time it didn't, it didn't necessarily feel that we were, uh, you know, blowing up or whatever. I mean, I was happy we were able to do that tour, but that, that was a, that was a tough tour. You know, that, that was not by no means the stones going through the garden, you know, that was slogging <laughs> through and, you know, like I said, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, I was, I was just asking them, uh, you know, what did it feel like, you know, I, I guess when the album kind of started getting really good press and, and uh, Nick stepped away, just, just a, uh, for people listening, but, uh, um, I, I guess like, how did it feel when, um, you were touring and, and the album started to get really good press? Um, I don't really remember the good press really, but I remember the tour for sure. That was really fun. I mean, we had, um, we went on this pretty epic journey, <laughs> um, through, uh, through, uh, through everywhere really. Um, but we definitely had a really good time and it was, it was probably probably the most fun tour sort of even though it was the hardest because you sort of came out the other side a completely different person you know the other tours to europe were were really cool in giving what you got to see but i felt on that tour that was the tour that we were able to deliver the most um to what we had been doing at home to bring that 
show or whatever on the, that set out on the road. I think that was probably the one that was probably the most true to, um, because it was just guitar, guitars and drums, and there wasn't really any other equipment necessarily being used every night, and uh, wasn't a lot of switching of instruments. So I think like musically, it was probably the most satisfying, as well as the most physically kind of wild. But yeah, I don't remember the press too much. I remember the press more on Open Your Heart, sort of, because that's when it kind of went national a little bit with an international more so. Uh, but on this one, I, I, you know, I think we did, um, we definitely had, you know, I guess a couple more interviews or something, but I, but yeah, that tour was pretty, was pretty great. I don't remember, I don't think that any of us necessarily knew to look for press on, on like, because, <laughs> you know, it was all so new to us. Um, I remember like, we, I remember we spoke to like the Village Voice and that was a big deal for us, like the free paper in the city, like, come on, like, that was like a big deal for us. And then of course, who would have thought it would have folded like years later, but yeah, I don't think that we were like at home, like Googling, like the men leave home, like sacred bones and seeing like what was happening because we were a just practicing like crazy. We had like a very, very strict practice regimen because I, I, I believe it was twice or three times a week we would get together. And if like someone didn't want to go, like you'd be kind of like looked at like you were a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um like, like, I mean, around, I think this was around that time, right? Or no, maybe, I guess it was 2009. So we were probably writing the tracks that would, that would become Leave Home or, but there was like the final uh, No Fun Fest was happening uh, during a time where we were like one, like two of the days we were practicing. So I didn't get to go. I remember we were standing outside of our studio uh, <laughs> Moore and Steve Shelley were walking by because Sonic Youth played that year and we're like standing there smoking cigarettes and I'm like fuck like why can't we go to this like I was definitely being the one that was like I want to go to no fun fest like what <laughs> 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 the same thing happened another time but there was like uh, we showed up to Monster Island to practice and that's where the original secret project robot was and we roll up and we see our friend Ryan Marino shout out to Ryan uh like he's on the record line. too by the way he's sorry on, he plays on the record as well um we see him standing in line and he was like oh yeah like wolf eyes and yellow tears are playing tonight downstairs and, and i was just like fuck for better or worse i mean we always really adhered to and, and kind of uh, i don't want to say admired but you know reading stories of black flag you know practicing on christmas night and you know these kind of things i mean to to i don't want to speak for anybody else but it, it was kind of like there is nothing else going on this is what's going on and this is the number one priority and you know and, and it's funny, in hindsight i kind of wish i would have went to some of those shows but you know but it uh it, that's where we were at and i, I think that the music kind of speaks speaks to the to that work ethic a little bit yeah so. for sure yeah um so so I guess um, back in the, you know, with, with this record being like the first record on Sacred Bones, how, how'd that relationship start? Well, I mean, it kind <laughs> of started, a good story with, you want to yeah, started with the Academy Records thing I was, I was mentioning earlier. I mean, I think that's how we got on Caleb's radar. Um, but, you know, th there was a long time in between when that started happening and when we actually made it happen. I mean, Chris, you might be the best one to tell that story because I think yeah. we kind of had to force ourselves on, on Sacred Bones a little bit. And Chris, well, Chris, you work for Sacred Bones, right? Or Yeah, yeah. For yeah. Like the last 10 years I've worked there. Like basically it's like the year 
that me and these guys parted ways and, and they got Greenberg on bass. Like I started working at Sacred Bones. So it was kind of like this seamless thing. Um, <clears throat> so the story with like getting on Sacred Bones was that like Caleb, I believe he still worked. Did he still work at Academy at the time? Or no, maybe he was just like, oh no, he did. He was in the like, basement, I think, yeah. Yeah, the Sacred Bones office was still in the basement, I believe. And well, Immaculata came out and we were doing the same thing we did with Immaculata that we did for our first 12 inch where we would just like bring a ton of copies to Academy and hope that they would sell them and then bring them more. And I think that Caleb got that record <clears throat> and really liked it. And then I can't remember if he got in touch with us or we got in touch with him, but he asked like what we were working on and we told him we were writing this record. Um, so then we went up, uh, went and recorded it in that abandoned school as I was telling you about um, and finished it. And I think that Mark sent it to Caleb and um, he didn't hear back from him or anything like that. So we were just like, well, shit, like no response, huh? Like, or I forget what happened. Maybe they did talk back and forth, but then there was like a long lag or whatever. So like a little bit later down the line, <clears throat> me and Nick and Mark, were you there too? Yeah. I also. don't know. I don't think so. No, not at the show. I wasn't. No. Okay. So me and Nick went to the Swans reunion at the Brooklyn Masonic Temple. Uh, what was it? Swans and um, doesn't matter. We were at the Swan show and uh, it was one of their first shows in like forever. And we were hanging out and there was an after party in the basement of the Masonic temple where like there was like a bunch of DJs with Caleb was one of the DJs. Sasha Gray was one of the DJs and then Dom Ferno from Prurient was also DJing. And there was all this free beer and like Steve Buscemi was there. <laughs> and, 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 you know, me and myself and Nick had been drinking pretty heavy that night because we, you know, it was, it was a long time ago and we liked to party. And, and so I see Caleb and, or I didn't even know if I knew who, like what he looked like at the time, but someone was like, that's Caleb from Sacred Bones. And at this point it was like the show had been long over Everybody's pretty drunk. So I just kind of walked up to him and tapped him on the shoulder. And I forget exactly what I said, but maybe I said it in a more aggressive way than I thought. But I was just kind of like, hey, man, like, I'm Chris from The Men. Like, just letting you know, like, don't worry about putting out our record because you didn't respond. So we're going to put it out ourselves. <laughs> um, and then I just tried to walk away. <laughs> saying anything and he like put his he's like wait wait wait, Chris and like put his hand on my shoulder and I kind of like snatched my shoulder back away from him <laughs> and then I think like that week he emailed us back <laughs> it was like I want to do the record <laughs> oh, that's incredible I feel pretty embarrassed about it to this day but it was funny at the time for sure <laughs> oh, that's awesome um so I, I guess you know with with the anniversary coming up are there any plans to do like a deluxe edition or anything like that so we're currently working on a repress right now, maybe with, with a, some different art. And we're still on talks about it, but <clears throat> we're gonna try to hopefully make it, try to figure out what we could do to make it special. Cause there, like, as we were saying before, there isn't too much that was on the cutting room floor for Leave Home around that time. I don't think that there's anything that wasn't already on the, the hated compilation that came out that would be able to go on it. But yeah, there is gonna be like a 10 year anniversary edition but the details remain to be seen. Yet. Right. And I know, I, I mean, with the men, I, I feel like change and, and kind of pushing forward is, is really, you know, synonymous with, with the band, you know, every, every record is, has different aspects to it, but you know, with shows coming back and with this anniversary, uh, would, would you ever consider kind of reuniting and doing, you know, a, a performance of this material or anything like that? Yeah. We did that a couple of years ago with um, the sacred bones, I guess, 10th anniversary. We did, played with Chris for the first time. Yeah. And um, 
sort of hacked our way through a couple of songs. <laughs> but it was fun. It was cool. It was a fun, fun day for sure. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I've always that. I've always like had the like thought in my head of how how cool it would be to play that album from front to back, but it's probably not possible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, what was, what was kind of like rehearsing for those, for that show? Like, what was it kind of, kind of like a, like learning, like, I, I guess like a learning, like a, like an old language you forgot or something or like retraining <laughs> muscles or something. Was it, was it difficult? It came back to me pretty quick, honestly, but I'm the bass player. So it's like, it's not like <laughs> the, the super complicated songs for me. Um, yeah, you remember the most, I think, I think everyone else is like, oh shit. Chris, how do you play that song? <laughs> Chris Noel. And uh, but it was funny to just like think about to try to remember how you used to think. I think that was kind of fun and strange at the same time. You know, kind of oh, that's a weird part, or why did we do that? I know well, that's an awesome part. You know, I think the strangest, like the weirdest part, was just like being in the room and then realizing, you know, we're gonna play this ten year anniversary show. We'll only have so much time but like there's so many songs from that era of the band when I was in it that like that like we would have loved to have like relearn and play but we just couldn't um but I definitely was the one that was like what about this one or like what about that one <laughs> but there was just like not enough time um but it was fun I think it was as far I mean I'm not speaking for myself but it was pretty seamless we just like went back down to the practice space a different one this time and you know just practice then it felt very normal because we've been friends it's not like i don't play in the band anymore but it's not like we don't hang out we're, like there was like maybe a year of weirdness and then we became friends again and we all keep in touch we all text each other all the time and so it wasn't like something where it's like chris ansell and mark and nick and rich are getting in the room together for the and they haven't seen each other in 15 years or like that kind of thing but like we see each other all the time and we're still friends so it was very much just being like hey let's jam it'll be fun and that's what it was yeah oh nice <laughs> well guys thanks thanks so much for doing this podcast it was it was real fun and and it was such a great excuse for me to go back and pour over this record i it, it means still means so much to me today and it's it's so great thanks man thanks man thanks a lot yeah, yeah thank you all right take care <laughs>